Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast, recorded from the Ruby Barn on Main Street here in Suffield, Connecticut. This is your host, Sean Devine, and I'm barely known on Twitter, and today I'm joined by Josh Owens. Hey, Josh. Hey. So you reached out to me on Twitter after uh, I started to post the series about the Rails Rumble, and you mentioned that you won the 2007 um, competition and that you'd be up for talking to me about it. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. And I, I'll make a trade. So uh, I want to know about Meteor. <laughs> Is that even the right way to say it? Yeah, Meteor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'd like to know more about Meteor because I know as close to zero as as one could know. So let's talk about your Rails Rumble uh, victory and experience and uh, whatever comes up with that. And then uh, later, let's switch into uh, 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 educating me about Meteor because I'm curious and I'm dumb. Okay. Sounds, <laughs> so, sounds good. <laughs> all right. So let's go back to 2000. Well, before we do that, why don't you introduce yourself and then let's get into your uh, Rails Rumble experience. Sure. Sure. So I'm Josh Owens. I did uh, Rails work for, I guess it's been like nine years now. Um, started professionally in like September 2005. I uh, got my first remote working gig, working from home. For a company uh, that was that was kind of exciting, and then um, yeah, I don't know, just stuck with Rails until I guess about two years ago. Started dabbling more into JavaScript and other other stuff. I guess it's been three years. Started dabbling in Backbone, and and then eventually ended up doing uh, media work. I convinced the uh, excuse me company I was working for at the time to uh, like go all in on media and be like the thought bot of Meteor, that, that's literally how I pitched it. And uh, they went for it, and, and so for the last 15, 16 months, I've been doing uh, a lot of Meteor work. So that's me. So it's been a long road since your 2007 Rails Rumble victory. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite a long road. I was only, yeah, I was only two years into, into Rails at that point. So it's funny, like, I felt like I knew a lot then, but then, you know, you get six or seven years into it and you're like, wow, I was, I was pretty green then. <laughs> yeah. Well, after that, I'm not sure if you feel like you know more or know less. Sometimes I feel mm. like the, the more time goes by, the less I feel like I know. Yeah. It's, I think it's the more releases that go by the, the less I feel I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's go back to 2007. So what version of rails was, was out at the time? Do you remember? Oh gosh. Uh, you know, I really don't, remember like if i had to guess i'd say it was it was definitely one one two maybe maybe it was two one I, yeah yeah it's fuzzy like too many years <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking it's in the we could always look it up but i i'm guessing it's the in the 1.2 ish range that's yeah nice yeah so uh was was 2007 the first year of the rails rumble i think it was it was. So uh, I tried to, um, there was a previous competition called Rails Day, and you were supposed to build something in 24 hours. And those guys were insane. I think a weekend's the, the right amount of time. Uh, so I had tried Rails Day and failed miserably the, the two times that they had it, I think. Um, and and so uh, I, I guess it was, like, I heard about, um, you know, ZapNab posted on on. That was Twitter. Yeah, Twitter was out. So he posted on Twitter about it, and I was pretty excited. Like, wow, we could we could build something in a weekend, and like Rails is perfect for this. Like, let's get a team together. And and so uh, my 
I've got a friend, uh, Chris Saylor. He's he's kind of mentored me uh, early on, you know, into PHP, and then he's like, "Oh, check out this Rails thing," and kind of got me into Rails, and and so we were always uh, buddy buddy and and wanted to do stuff together there, and and um, so I reached out to him and said, "Hey, let's do this Rails Rumble." And he's like, "Oh, okay." Like he had moved down to Miami. And he was working full time doing Rails work for a company there. And he's like, "I've I've got a guy here that that's pretty good. He could be on our team too." And so we had three developers. And uh, at the time, I also was doing the Web Two O Show podcast, and we had a listener that really loved us reach out. Like I was looking for some icon design work or something, and he reached out and like was helping us with that. And we started building a relationship and. And he knew HTML and CSS really well, and so I reached out to him, and I'm like, "Would you like to be on our team? Like, we're we're always impressed with your work." And he said, "Sure." Uh, and he had done one Rails app with me up to that point. Like, I was doing some side freelance work, and so that was our our core team. Like, we had one designer and and three developers, and I was kind of the the lead developer on the team. And uh, so we. We decided to, to put our team in, and we took a pretty democratic approach. We set up a base camp project, and like everybody just started piling in ideas. This was probably about a month before the competition, and we just decided to go through. and I don't, I don't even know where I came up with this, but we did a, a vote where you you pick your top three ideas and you rank them, and then like your top idea got a few more points than your bottom idea. And so we just took the idea that had the top kind of point score and decided that that's the one we were going to work on. Uh, and it's pretty formal for a Rails Rumble team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I'm, know if I'm, I'm impressed or scared. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think having a high level of organization can, can really help. Like, I'm, I'm horrible at organization. So I look back at it and go, like, how the. How the hell did I pull that off? That's crazy. Um, <laughs> you don't sound like you're terrible at organization. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I am. Um, right. So we had we actually had something like forty to fifty different ideas that we uh, we piled into that list, and uh, the winning idea, funnily enough, came from uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, now my wife, and. She suggested, like, what about – she called it menu to meals. And um, she said, what if you could take all these recipes that are online and put them into a menu and then press a button and you get out a grocery shopping list? And we were like, huh, that's that's actually pretty smart. That's a nice, like, life hack, right? Excuse me. And – um. And so, you know, we we all kind of agreed on that point. Uh we I think most of us hated the the name menu to meals. Um and so <laughs> we just we took the same approach and we decided to everybody just start digging for domain names and find available ones and throw them into another post on Basecamp and then we ended up voting on those again and Tasty Planner uh was the winner. And so we picked up tastyplanner.com and uh and that was that was kind of the, the the start of the idea. And then I think by this time we were maybe two weeks away from the rumble, and we we had to get clarification on the rules. I don't 
I don't think they talked about it a whole lot back then. Maybe they did. I don't. I don't know. But uh, we wanted to be able to do work ahead of time, and so we got the okay to write um, user stories and the okay to uh, use paper and pencil to sketch out user interfaces. And so Kevin, our designer, Kevin Berg, he went off and uh, and started sketching some ideas. And you know, we were off actually. I'm getting ahead of myself. We actually started writing the user stories first. Um, and we, we organized them into the must-haves and the uh, nice-to-haves. And and then Kevin went off and started sketching the UI for the must-haves. And we decided, like, you know, are the must-haves something that we can get done? Um, you know, and it, if we can't, like, is there a way we can make this stuff easier? And we got to what I feel was a good core feature set you know being able to create recipes and um get the get the menu uh or get the the grocery shopping list out of that now is there an open source um or or freely available database of recipes that you can seed something like this with or is is that not a thing uh not not that i was aware of back then um maybe there's something now but the interesting thing is recipes themselves are inherently open sourced. They're not, uh, I, I've actually done research into this. Um, they're not copyrightable. So because it's a list of ingredients and a list of steps, that's not something that you can actually copyright. Uh, the only thing that you can copyright are the stories that you tell around the recipes uh, and potentially maybe the name of a recipe. Um, but otherwise, recipes are are not copyrightable. Um and so, you know, knowing that, uh, we enlisted my my wife to go in and, and compile a list of recipes uh, that would be good to seed this thing. And um, after the competition was over, she got on the, you know, the Rails Rumble version that we had deployed. She got on there and started putting in the recipes and, and uh, getting that in there for us, so... So does that mean that you can, so back to the, the copyright question. So does, mm -hmm. that means you can extract then a recipe from, from anything and, and sort of, you know, co-op it for your own use. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but <laughs> everything I've read on the internet says that that's a okay. And that there's no way that copyright would, would hold up in court on a recipe itself. Yeah. Cool. So it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like from what you described, at least things went super smoothly. Is, is that, is there more to the story that, that oh, was challenging yeah. or, uh, tell yeah, me about yeah. it. So, I mean, this was all, this was everything leading up to the rumble, right? And, uh, you know, the, the best, the best, I don't know what's to say in the best laid plans. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we planned and planned and planned and then. And then it came to actually executing, and I realized, like, number one, how much more pre-planning we probably could have done, and uh, and and been in an even better spot. But, um, you know, it, it's just we got into the competition, and I think the very first thing we hit a snag on was uh, I was working on the database schema, and. Chris was working on the uh, getting the deploy server set up because it, uh, back then there was no Heroku. Uh, there was no easy way to really do a deploy. So, um, you know, we had to roll our own with Linode, which uh, 
that was the first time I'd used Linode, and they were it was it was really an awesome experience. Like having come from go buy a dedicated server or you know something like that, like getting this little VPS slice was pretty awesome. Um, but you know, we we were trying to use some automated tool to do the deployment, and it failed. And so I feel like we spent the first couple hours kind of off in the weeds. And uh, you know, the designer, luckily, like you know, he's completely independent. And I guess I should mention, like, we were all remote too. Like, I was in Cincinnati. The two guys, uh, the two developers, were down in Miami, and then our designer was up in New York. And so we were using Campfire to communicate, and uh, that I think that was also effective because, like Kevin in New York doing the design, he was able to just post screenshots into Campfire as he was working, and you know we could give him pretty instantaneous feedback. Um, so luckily, like you know he he was just cranking on design, doing HTML and CSS stuff over there in New York, and you know I. This thing starts at midnight Eastern, which is the time zone that we were all in. And so I think we only made it till about the three developers only made it till about 3 a.m. And then we we're all like, oh, my God, we're so tired. And so we we took a break and went to sleep. And I think I got back up at 9 a.m. And uh, when I got up, Kevin had like, you know, version one alpha of the design posted and he was getting ready to go to bed. So nice. that, that was really awesome. Um, but he was kind of, you know, back then dabbling between HTML and CSS and Photoshop. So he was actually doing a lot of design in Photoshop and then going back and playing in HTML. So uh, all we really had to work off of was um, I think we he had tweaked a little bit of our HTML, but it didn't, didn't look like the design he excuse me, posted. Uh, it looked like... Um, you know, we just had Photoshop to go off of. And so we we tried to kind of work in that similar fashion. Like we knew what the partials would kind of be at that point because we at least had a, a template to work off of. And so we just uh, we got to work. Like we had the database schema and we had the, the, the server was up and we could deploy to it now, uh, I think using Capistrano. And, and so, you know, we just we really just started building out all the different pieces like one guy was working on recipes and another guy was working on um getting the the grocery list stuff put together and and uh the third developer bruno he was uh he was kind of batting clean up he was working on javascript here and there and he was working on um working on just you know testing and bug fixing and and stuff like that and so uh yeah just I think we all kind of worked well together and looking back at the version we put out, it, it, it was probably pretty laughable. Like you were able to put in a recipe and you were able to look at some recipes and then you were able to generate your uh, meal planner and then it would give you a grocery list. And like that was all the functionality we had. There were like no bells and whistles. You couldn't rate anything. You couldn't leave a comment uh, because we it spent... sounds pretty good though. Yeah, yeah, but we spent the the core of our time working on the I guess we spent the mo- majority of our time working on the core features. Um and wh- what did you say the name was again? Is it Tasty Meals? Tasty Planner. Tasty Planner, that's right. Yeah. Is it does it still exist? It does. It does. Uh Chris, one of the uh the partners, we decided afterwards to uh to keep working on this thing. And so we set up a, a little um corporation and 
divvied up, um, you know, we, we kind of went back and forth and decided to, how to divvy up the equity on it. And um, we, we tried to turn it into a real business and we put, I think, ads on it. And we got to the point where we we're making three to 400 bucks a month off the ads. And I think hosting costs us like 50 bucks a month on that thing. So, um, but yeah, Chris, uh, Chris decided he wanted to try to take over it and, um, he bought the rest of us out. So it was my first official rails product exit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just went to tastyplanner.com and it, it, it's expired. Oh no. Are you serious? That's... Look, the domain name expired on eight twenty eight two thousand fourteen. 2014. So two weeks ago. Oh wow. He probably doesn't even realize it. Well, there you go. Some enterprising listener could snap it up. <laughs> well, it's not posted yet. You could do it or let him know. <laughs> um, so uh, what are you, I know it was a long time ago, but thinking back on this sort of uh, the experience you had at Rails Rumble, what are the, the top three sort of takeaways about um, you know, how to be successful and enjoy it at the same time? Uh, yeah, I would say as much as you can stomach pre-plan, um, for sure. That I feel like that was really the key to us winning. Um, I would say also pick people on your team that you trust and that you know can get the job done. Uh, because I, I went in the next year with a different team and we took best design, but I think that was only cause Kevin was on our team. So, um, different developers. And I just don't, I don't think I picked people that executed quite as well. Um, and then uh, the other thing is, like, rely heavily on any tools or, I guess at this point, gems. Back then they were plugins, but uh, any gems that can give you the functionality that you need. Uh, there weren't as many plugins out back when, in 2007. Um, I think there maybe was one, like, rating plugin, but we had some trouble getting it working. So... You know, if if you if you really want to win, then I would say play around with the plugins or the I guess now gems uh, ahead of time and make sure that you understand how to use them and and what the pitfalls might be. But any functionality you can gain um, by just including a package or something, I, I would say that that's a huge win for something like this. Yeah, it's a different world in that way now. I mean, both on the gem front, there's a gem for just about everything, and that certainly wasn't true then. But also yeah. on the API side, the API, um, I don't know, ecosystem is so much stronger now than it was then that the combination of the two means you can, I hate this expression, but mash up, so to speak, something in, in a lot, a lot more robust than would have been possible in 2007. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Back then, there weren't a ton of APIs at all in 2007. So, um, yeah, I would I would think nowadays, like you go to a hackathon and and you see like everybody's sucking data from an API because it's it's an easy way to have a demo that can show some activity or life without having to have someone like my wife sitting there and entering in a bunch of recipes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So, so would you? When's the last time that you participated in some sort of development competition like the Rails Rumble? Um, so I I did the the following year's Rails Rumble, two thousand eight, and had a product called Jotly, which was like a Tumblr competitor. Uh, and I think that was a little ambitious because it it you know I wanted to use Liquid and have like CSS, like you be able to customize the CSS and that kind of stuff and. 
that's I really got lost in the weeds there trying to get that to work correctly. Um, and let's see, I think I I did a a few more years after that putting together teams, but we never really uh, got off the ground with anything. Uh, one year I tried solo in the rumble. That was that was not a great experience. <laughs> I am not a designer. <laughs> I did, so I've told this story on previous episodes, so I won't repeat the whole thing. But I basically did solo one time, and I was the only programmer on two teams, and one time I did everything. My partner was my daughter, but that was... She wasn't she wasn't helpful in the sort of way that one would imagine, you know. I mean, it was she was helpful and it was fun and I loved doing it, but you know, yeah. she was she wasn't a partner that way. Um, and it's an it's an experience. It's you know it's interesting because no matter who you are, you're going to have a weakness in some area. Yeah. And design would be mine for sure. <laughs> yeah, mine mine as well. Like I feel like I'm better now, but it's still pretty rough. Yeah, uh, I can kind of hack it together, but but barely. Yeah, thank thank God for bootstrap and foundation, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I've switched to um I've switched to uh the like bourbon neat bitters universe mm. of things from Thoughtbot, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Um, I haven't I haven't tried that, but I think maybe because I've shifted out of Rails, it's it's less in my face that that framework anyway. So um, so uh, on that point, that's a good segue. So let me do our first sponsor and then let's get back to how you've shifted out. And I'm excited to be taught about Meteor. Okay. Sure. All right. So first uh, sponsor today is Squarespace. Um, I'm sure that you know about them, Josh, but I'm going to tell everyone else <laughs> about yeah. them too. So again, thanks to uh, Squarespace for bringing us today's episode. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SEANSENTME. That's S-E-A-N-S-E-N-T-ME. Squarespace makes it simple and easy to create a beautiful design for your custom website using a drag-and-drop interface. They also make it easy to get help with 24-7 support through live chat and email. Their support teams are located in New York City, Dublin, and Portland, so you can reach Squarespace support anytime you need it, no matter where you are in the world. Plans start at just $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Their templates include responsive design, and every site comes with an online store. Get started with a free trial, no credit card is required, and start building your website today. When you sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use my offer code Sean sent me to get 10% off and to show your support for both 5x5 and the Ruby on Rails podcast. We thank Squarespace for their continued support. Squarespace, a better web, starts with your website. All right. So let's talk Meteor. And sure. I'm going to go from the very beginning. So I know the, the only things I know are what you'd read from headlines that then for no particular reason you avoid reading the articles really related to those uh, headlines. So let's rewind to the very beginning and what is Meteor? Sure. Uh, so Meteor is, gosh, they've, they've changed it now. So um, everyone's calling it a platform now because it's it's a little more than just a framework. Um it's uh oh gosh I, sh I should really look this up on there they've got a tagline here meteor and ultra simple database everywhere data on the wire pure javascript web 
they call it a framework still, but platform is is what the what everyone's using nowadays. But the idea is that uh, you know it's it's Node.js on the back end. They've got their own kind of client front end, and the APIs are the same uh, on the the front end and the back end. So uh, you're able to call like you know the, say for instance their their collection setup. Um, you know when you want to get something from the database on the back end, you'll just call collection.find, and on the front end, you just call collection.find. So like those APIs are the same in both places, and um, and, and they've got a they've got a lot of things kind of hooked up for you, which was a lot of the appeal for me. Every time I would go to play with Node, I felt like I was maybe off in the weeds a little bit trying to figure out how to get some stack working well. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, there were pieces missing, right? Like now now you have the mean stack, uh, which is Mongo, Express, Node, and Angular, or Angular and Node. And, um, and I think Angular was maybe the, the key piece missing there for a long time. But um, so... I like that they've they've got everything hooked up for you. So you've got Mongo for the database, you've got uh, Node for the backend server, and then you've got this uh, this interesting concept of PubSub in between the the front end and the back end. Um, and they've got you know an eJSON standard that they use to send data across the wire, uh, and then the wire protocol is uh, DDP, uh, which stands for like Dynamic Data Protocol or something like that. And they use WebSockets to actually make that transfer happen between the, the front end and the back end. And so the interesting thing is that, you know, you you send down a little HTML and CSS and then data starts coming across the wire and the page starts reactively populating. And the reactive part is pretty key here because you're able to create rich JavaScript uh, front ends that are driven by data changes that are automatically coming over and you don't really have to do anything. You just have to, you know, use the, the collections, use mini, mini Mongo and that kind of stuff. And, and everything just starts happening for you. So if you were to compare and contrast meteor to Ember, what would the key differences be? I, mean, I, I could hear some of them obviously, and I could hear some similarities, but from your, from your perspective, what are they? Uh, well, so you can only only compare about half of Meteor to Ember um, because you're you're talking about a front end framework versus the like the whole platform. Um, and so with Ember, you'd have to go back it by something like Firebase or Rails or something with an API. Versus uh, you know Meteor, uh, you've you've automatically got all that in the in the back end with the server. So like that communication already happens automatically, and for me, like what drew me to it was the the rapid prototyping and the ability to basically just be able to like I can actually sit down and spend four or five hours creating the entire front end and never really touch the server and have a completely functional app if I want to. Uh, the only time you tend to go into the server and early prototyping is if you want to hit like an API or something and start bringing in data that way. So um, I would say I. It's hard for me to compare Ember specifically because I, I never used it. Um, I dabbled a little bit in Angular, but my 
big experience was actually in Backbone before coming to Meteor. Okay. So when people are making a choice about use, uh, switching to Meteor and using it for the kind of the, both the back end and the front end, what is there an alternative that's similar that covers both sides now? Um, not that I'm aware of. So I know that there's uh, a couple of JavaScript frameworks. There's one called Sales, which I haven't looked at too closely. But I think you still have to create kind of your own node backend to it. Uh, and there's another one called Derby, which is a competitor, um, which I think does a lot more. But it's, excuse me, I think it's a little further behind where Meteor is. Uh, and that's probably just the case because Meteor got $11 million of funding and they've got a huge team kind of working on it and pushing it forward at this point. So tell me about that. What is, what does that mean? Is it not an open source project like, like Rails? No, it's, yeah, it's, it's completely open source. So I think you, maybe it's easier to understand where Meteor came from and then you'll understand like why they got funding. Um, they came out of why Combinator, uh, and the team that was working on at the time they were working on an app to do like real time travel booking or something like that, and there was no good <clears throat> excuse me no good framework for them to do the stuff that they wanted to do and so they were simultaneously like trying to build an app and trying to get like a framework cobbled together and they were about two or three weeks from demo day for Y Combinator and they just decided like this travel site wasn't as interesting as the real time framework was. And so, you know, they, they were talking to their mentors and trying to figure out what to do and they just decided let's do the framework full time. And at the time I think it was called Skybreak. And, um, and so that's what they presented at demo day. And um, I think that's, you know, subsequently why they, they went on to get funding. Um, but they're, you know, Meteor will always be open source. Uh, they're, I, my understanding is they're going to offer a hosting solution kind of like Heroku or Modulus, uh, and they're going to go after higher-end hosting um, as a way to, to make money for their company. Gotcha. Yeah. So... Um... Give me a couple of examples of features that you've built with Meteor that um, just sort of fundamentally felt better than the process of developing those same features on Rails, or if you hadn't developed the same features on Rails, like what you'd imagine the experience difference would be. Yeah. So I would say, number one, like right out of the box, you can say uh, Meteor add Bootstrap, which is, you know, it's their their packaging system uh, relies on um, they've got their own packaging system, but then you can pull in NPM packages. And even now uh, with the next release, you'll be able to pull in Cordova packages as well, which is starting to get really interesting. But the, the ability to just add bootstrap or add coffee script and things just start working was pretty amazing. Um, and then beyond that, there was a third party packaging system, which just got replaced with the latest release called Meteorite. And and so being able to build packages where you just say, you know, MRT add, you know, whatever whatever you need, and it just comes in, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the gem functionality that, that Rails has, but it it fulfills the promise that Rails engines, I always felt they could be something better. Um, I think maybe 
Mongo works a little bit better because we're able to just push functionality out and have our database tables in Mongo and we don't have to really worry about like how to execute weird schema migrations or generate migrations into someone's project or something. Um, but like the, the very first package I made was, uh, I guess it was the second package was accounts entry, which was the ability to have, um, kind of like page routed login. And so you can say, um, Meteor add account UI and there like the default account UI you get is just a button with like a modal overlay. And uh, our designer hated that because it was really hard to customize. And so uh, he pushed us to build a better package for doing the account stuff. But the, the great part is like when I say I did account stuff, I was really just using iron router to hook up some routes and writing some uh, front-end helpers and some back-end methods that would that would uh, properly like create accounts and stuff. But, but I was all hooking into all their APIs. So all this account stuff all just works together. Like a lot of the, the back-end stuff I wrote was just detecting which accounts packages you have installed. So, you know, you can say, uh, well, now it's Meteor Ad Accounts Entry. And then you can say Meteor Ad Accounts Facebook. And like you'll automatically get the Facebook button pop up on your page and it'll say configure and then you put in your your api keys and then all of a sudden the the uh the login button starts fun excuse me starts functioning and so to me that was always a huge pain point because you know i went through um gosh access auth there was there was one before that what was it called i don't even remember now so uh i think techno weenie did access auth and he had the one before that as well um, which was a lot of generated code in those early days. And then you had um, Devise, and there was another one before Devise. There's and, Sorcerer is one now, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think I've used Sorcerer, but there there was another one before Thoughtbot that. Thoughtbot has one now that's pretty popular. I haven't used it. Yeah, and, and so I always just felt like, I, I particularly remember uh, having Devise in there and having the pain of like a breaking version coming out and and it broke the login system and i remember spending like two days fixing and upgrading and you know over the over my career in rails i feel like the login system has always been a little bit of a pain point because you always rely on another package and that package ultimately uh wants to make breaking changes and that means that you know you're you're redoing your app completely and I think I, I love the fact that some of this stuff has already been thought about by Meteor Core and so they've got you know accounts base and accounts UI and and all this stuff built in and so you just don't have to worry about that stuff at all which has been it's been kind of nice now those things not to not to be contrary but none of those really like if you're starting with Rails 4 1 right now or mm. Rails 4.2 shortly. I don't think that the experience would really be any different on those points. Really. I mean, the the the, the gem, infra, or gem ecosystem is so strong now. And there, there are pretty low friction ways to do um, those things, I think. 
Um, like honestly. So like, but, but I, I don't think that the friction on, I th- you said something earlier that sort of hit me a bit stronger, which is the ability to sort of work on the front end of the application without having to twiddle the back end at all and sort of rapidly prototyping the, the front end independent of the back end. That feels like more fundamentally different to me than composing features does. Yeah. Um, do you think that's fair or is it that I, I don't have a good enough feel for the benefits that you're saying with Meteor to appreciate the second point? Um, I, I would say on the second point, maybe it's, it's just, there's a little more unification in them offering it versus, you know, a bunch of packages in the system. And so people like a lot of what you're seeing come out are just different front end UIs essentially and functionality on the core kind of back end functionality that Meteor's created with the, the account stuff. And so I think that becomes a, a lot easier with what they're what they're offering but I, I would agree you know the rapid prototyping that's that's actually what drew me in you know um i i started building uh, an app that uh would stream to apple tvs and i actually wrote a first version of the app in rails and the problem i had was that the gem that i was relying on wasn't stable and would crash a lot and so you know, when I'm when I'm trying to stream something to my Apple TV and I, I've got my family sitting around the living room and I'm like, oh, hold on, it just crashed. Or, oh, hold on, like, I, I started it, but it crashed again. And it's like, that's that feels like, you know, you're on the spot and you're trying to give a demo <laughs> or something and, and everything just keeps crashing. That's just not awesome. Yeah, your six-year-old starts mocking you. That's just no yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that that's where I shifted into, like, oh, there's a node package over here. And, uh, you know, I've been watching Ryan, Ryan Bates screencasts on building, uh, building front end apps in different frameworks. And I had seen his meteor version and it intrigued me. And so I'm like, well, I know, you know, I came into it in 06, uh, with meteor. And so it had the NPM integration. So I knew that I could probably figure out how to pull in this NPM package and get the functionality I needed and uh and i did it i mean it you know I, I think i was doing some weird stuff reading reading the file system and and streaming these streaming these files out and so it took me about a week to get a working prototype and then um and then after that about a month to get it back to kind of a polished working version of what i what i previously had uh but you know then it was it was crash free and that's not to say like Ruby was bad. I think it was really just that gem had particular problems. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm surprised that uh, sort of a theme of your comments has been, I guess, broadly like stability. And I guess I'm not surprised by the integration point. I am more surprised by stability because one of the things that I like about Rails, the Rails community now, and a, a bunch of people will disagree with me on this, but that's fine, that um, it's pretty mature now. I mean, especially if you know how to sort of um, see the difference between a mature, you know, library or or a project and one that's not. Things don't like my experience now is that that the community um, is pretty respectful of breaking changes. At least the community of like well done libraries and apps. Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, th- in this one particular instance, I-, I was maybe doing a little bit of crazy stuff, right? Like. Um, Apple's uh, AirPlay spec 
isn't well documented like everyone's kind of hacked out how it works and um there was a library there was like a http live streaming library that this mm-hmm. airplay gem was relying on and i really think that's where the problem lied um but you know rather like i i reached out to the the package author or the gem author and worked with them a little bit here and there and he just kind of threw in the towel and said he didn't have time to work on it and um and that's what kind of had me shopping around and, and looking at different different options gotcha. um so i don't i wouldn't say that it's it's necessarily like node was way more like the node package was way more stable i just think that you know the the guy working on the node version versus the the ruby gem um just either had slightly better libraries available to him or or he was able to find the bugs and kill them better i don't i don't right. know so let, let me tell you about our second sponsor, and then after that, I'm I'm interested in sort of getting your um, advice about if one wanted to build their first simple meteor app. Sure. Um, both, you know, what what approach should one take in terms of sort of uh, getting their development environment set up and 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 selecting something that's not going to crush them, and then handling deployment in a way that doesn't feel awful. Back to your yeah. back to your point about 2007 and the Rails Rumble, but. Let me yeah. uh, let me tell you about the second sponsor first. Okay, so uh, frequent sponsor of the Ruby on Rails po- podcast is CodeShip, and they've come back today, and I thank them for that. Uh, CodeShip is a free continuous delivery service that's really simple to use. They offer 100 builds per month for five projects for free. The whole product also has a, a pretty big focus on usability. It's super easy to use. You can set up your continuous integration uh, solution with CodeShip in a few easy steps and your software will automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. CodeShip has great support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate with GitHub and Bitbucket for code hosting and then deploy to cloud services or your own servers. Start out with CodeShip's free plan. Setup only takes about three minutes. You can find CodeShip on codeship.io slash 5x5ruby. And use the offer code 5x5Ruby to get 20% off any plan for three months. You can also check out their blog at blog.codeship.io to get updates. Uh, they are a great service. I've uh, used them now personally for quite a while after learning, learning all about them from these uh, uh, sponsorships and, and also because I had the uh, CTO on the show back a few months ago. I really enjoy it. I recommend you give them a try. So again, codeship.io slash 5x5ruby. You get 20% off for three months. Thanks to them for supporting the show. Okay. So let's say uh, let's say I'm interested in giving Meteor a shot because I like the uh, the value proposition. What's the best way to, to, to go at that, do you think? Sure. Uh, so if you go to the meteor.com website, they actually have... You know the uh, obligatory uh, curl script that you paste in, um, and it'll it'll pull down and install everything for you um, and get you going. And so the only kind of caveat that I would say is, if you're going to be googling around um, anywhere that you see the words MRT or the letters MRT, uh, that's been replaced now with the new package system. So it's just Meteor Add um, and the you know the packages now have prefixes on them. So uh, in the past, you may have said uh, MRT add accounts entry. Now you say Meteor add Josh Owens colon accounts dash entry. Hmm. And so um, 
you know that that's probably going to be the only thing right now for the next couple months is some of the blog posts and uh, external documentation might take some time to get updated. But uh, yeah, just just curl and get it installed, and and you should be able to to get running right away. Just meteor meteor create and then meteor run, pretty similar to Rails. Gotcha. So the the that the shell script that you curl down that's printed on the website on the uh, meteor homepage. So that that sets up the entire development environment one would need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And they use um, like I said, they use Node. They use Mongo. Um, when you start it up, it actually starts a local development version of Mongo that's specific to that app. So you don't actually have to have Mongo installed and running elsewhere. They'll bring it down, and then they just start up a little development version for that particular app. So everything's kind of namespaced data-wise. Gotcha. And what kind of application do you think would be most reasonable to to give a, a first shot at? You know, is is there a class that you feel like Meteor is 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 uh, sort of best suited for and, and easiest to get started with, or or not so much? Uh, I would say anything that's that's uh, going to work well with at least two people kind of on it. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, actually, tomorrow we're going to do the Meteor Meetup here in Cincinnati, and we're going to build an app from scratch, and we're going to do uh, planning poker. And uh, I thought that would be a fun one because everyone can put in their numbers, and then you know you'll press a button, and those numbers will show, and then everyone like will will pick the high and the low, and we'll like tell them to argue it out, you know, in the interface. <laughs> now, what is um, it? So this is, I don't know what this thing is. Planning poker is the name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just a, it's a concept more than anything. Uh, it's a project management tool for developers to get together. And, um, and so if you've ever used like Pivotal Tracker or something, you see the points on there. Um, the idea is that each story has points associated with it rather than an amount of time. And what you'll do is you'll get your development team together and they'll sit down and look at the story and and basically it's almost like uh rock paper scissors or something you'll you'll say one two three and then you'll hold up a number of fingers excuse me a number of fingers and you'll say like i think it's three points and so everyone says how many points uh they think a story is gonna be you know kind of gauging the complexity and whoever's the highest and whoever's the lowest kind of have to to battle it out and figure out like you know, are, is the lowest person missing something or is the, the person saying it's going to take longer? Are they maybe missing some some easy implementation? And so you get them to talk, figure out an approach. Um, you know, everyone kind of gets an understanding from that discussion. And then and then you'll assign the points like someone either has to come down or come up. Um, but, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the idea. That's that's how you get those points that are assigned in, in Pivotal Tracker. That seems like a great, uh, I understand why you picked it for a, a Meteor project. That seems like a perfect idea for a, for a sort of a demo of what Meteor's good at. Yeah, yeah. And so some other ones we've done at the meetup, um, I actually built a, a podcast website. So I do the Meteor podcast. And um, so I built a site. Maybe that's not the best. Like I wouldn't say go build a blog because there's no server-side rendering in Meteor right now. And so that makes uh, caching and that kind of stuff a little harder. And I think for um, when you're rendering one page out, that's the same for hundreds of people. Uh, caching is definitely your friend. And so, you know, I, 
I was telling you before the show, I wrote that, that Meteor Killing Rails article, and it was funny because uh, Hacker News killed our blog. Like, we had literally migrated. <laughs> it was on blog. Meteor. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. on Meteor. And that was, our, that was one of our first major deployments as a, as a company. And um, we had just deployed it that morning, and my post went live, and it hit Hacker News. And um, I think we had something like 800 concurrent users and then it toppled over. And the you know, the bad part was when it toppled, you know, everyone's screen just went went white, even though they were reading an article and they weren't doing anything reactive or interactive. Like the data source was lost and it couldn't it couldn't look to see what version of the code it was running against and so it just went blank. And so, you know, that's probably in hindsight, not the best use case for it. Um, <laughs> now, do you think that's like what sort of sense of humor do you have? Do you think that's funny? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, at the, <laughs> I think it's at the time, like, you know, you're getting these awful Hacker News comments as, you know, you want to get there. Um, people are like, oh, haha, killing rails. You can't even keep your site up. And it's like, oh, God, this is horrible. Um, <laughs> well, but, you especially know, now, since like you could serve, you know, you could serve 800 a second on a Rails app with caching. I mean, not, yeah. and that's not because Rails is great at that. It's just because caching makes it easy. Yeah, yeah. But oh, that, um, that's funny. Yeah, it's just all those uh, WebSocket connections, I think, is what caused it to topple over. Yeah, you know, exactly. And so, I mean, for us, like the the fix for that was to to add more uh, at the you know I tend to use Modulus for hosting, so um, you know we just scaled up to more servos and we were able to handle the traffic and it was no big deal. But um, you know, it, it would have been nice, you know, in, in hindsight to maybe turn off the the need for the web sockets, um, which I'm I'm pretty sure you can do now. But you Wouldn't know, be as good of a story though. I like yeah. the story. Yeah, <laughs> your most popular article ever is about killing something that then dies from the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, yeah. That's funny. So, I mean, so to summarize, if you're going to use Meteor, use it for something that's more application than document centric. That's more multi-user than single user, and that's going to shine, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the other one I was going to say is early on in the Meteor meetup, we cre- like someone said, "Oh, I want to be able to create a list." on the internet of anything that I want. Like, uh, I need to make a list of my favorite wedding songs to send to my buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're like, we didn't have any other good ideas. So we thought, well, okay, we can do that, but we can put voting on it and that'll make it a little more, uh, interactive. Right. And so we spent an hour and a half at the first meetup building that, um, in a way that was reactive and the designer was sitting there doing check-ins as well. And uh, over the next couple of meetups, we just added more functionality to it. And that's uh, Lister.io. And that's open sourced. Um, and you can go there and you can see the app. It's, it's pretty basic. But, um, yeah, I would just say, you know, anything light and simple would be good. Um, I, I would say uh, if if you're just getting started, like, I would probably save the APIs till you feel more comfortable. Um what do you mean by the APIs? Like uh, doing backend stuff, interacting with APIs, I would say, um, because chances are you're going to have to rely on a node package. So there are a couple of node packages that have been wrapped up to be Meteor packages, um, but there's not a ton. So um, you need to... Meteor has this concept. Uh, they use fibers, which is... The concept's pretty similar to, to Ruby fibers, actually. Um, 
and they wrap all the node backend stuff in fibers, and so everything runs synchronously. So when you pull in a node package and it's got callbacks, you need to wrap those callbacks up and then turn them to be synchronous. And so I would say, like, as a first-time developer into Meteor, that's probably going to be a little weird and confusing. And so I would say either stick to the ones that have already been done or save it until you feel more comfortable with the rest of Meteor. Right. Do you miss Ruby at all? Um, sometimes, yeah. Uh, particularly, you know, I was working on a package that uh, was heavy, like JavaScript. Like I, Ruby was my first major delve into a programming language i'd done some php i'd done a little java but you know ruby was kind of my my first real love i guess um and and i knew it well um you know i'd taken the uh the meta programming class from dave thomas and felt really comfortable there and so coming to uh javascript was relatively new for me um even though i've i've had three years in it at this point um, I, I actually came to really start to understand JavaScript deeper by using CoffeeScript. And so I still do most of my stuff in CoffeeScript, and that makes me not really miss Ruby too much. Um, but there is, I think there's a there's a definite divide in the media world. Um, there, there's a lot of people that hate CoffeeScript passionately. <laughs> and so... Um, they don't really like. They're not. They don't want to adopt your package if it's written in CoffeeScript because they don't feel they can go in and read it and contribute to it. And so, uh, a lot of the packages that I write are in JavaScript. And one package in particular, I feel like has had a lot of uh, meta programming concepts in it. And that that was the point at which I really missed Ruby when I was building that package. Like. So when people dis people in the JavaScript community dislike CoffeeScript so much, what's the what are the main reasons? Uh, why why abstract? Why have mm-hmm. a secondary language? I mean, it just compiles to JavaScript anyway. Why not just use JavaScript in the first place? Um, or uh, they don't like the JavaScript that's outputted. Um, so they'll be like, you know, don't wh- why. Why have this automated tool that outputs something that's awful? I mean, those are the common ones that I hear. I'm sure there might be others. Yeah. I like CoffeeScript because it makes JavaScript feel like Ruby. But I guess, you know, whether that's good or bad, I don't I don't know. I, I think it's good. Um, and, you know, uh, this is my last week at uh, Differential, the place that, that I've been working, doing media work. And... We've got, uh, I think, six developers now, and um, everybody there uses CoffeeScript, and it's just kind of like a, a team decision to go that way. But the majority of us came from Ruby. Let's take a break so I can tell you about our third sponsor today, Solero. Uh, I'm excited about this sponsor. They're new, and their product fits perfectly with my family. I've got two kids uh, in the age range that, that uh, they've designed this great product for. So let me tell you more about it. Solero is your online study guide. It covers English, math, and science from 3rd to 12th grade. So because it's digital, Solero has more content than could be ever printed in a textbook, and it's available 24-7. Don't settle for competing solutions who only offer one subject at a time. Solero is designed to be convenient and easy to use for all ages. 
So for U.S. listeners, you may or may not know this, but there's a new curriculum in the majority of U.S. states this year. It's called the U.S. Common Core, and it makes previous study resources out of date. Other sites may not yet be updated, which means that your child could be learning out-of-date material. Well, Solero has the complete U.S. Common Core coverage, uh, including new computerized assessments, which are required by the Common Core, and uh, that's in time for the final exams this coming year, which, uh, which will require that. Solero is the first study resource to provide full-length final exams for practice. If you don't live in a Common Core state, Solero is still great. Their curriculums are, are tailored for each uh, specific state's needs. And if you don't live in the U.S., you can still access a great uh, English language resource that covers the Common Core uh, curriculum concepts by choosing California when you log in. So a quick personal story about this. I actually last night had an open house at my kid's school. And uh, my younger kid had, whose name is Adam, he had... Um, uh, the same teacher that my older son, Mac, had four years ago. And because of the Common Core, actually quite a bit's different. And much of the open house was talking very much about this transition and the need to sort of forget some of the the old ways that that teacher did things and, and learn some new ways. So it's, it's very, very relevant and very uh, timely. So Solero is available as a web app, as well as native apps for iOS, Android, and a brand new native Windows 8.1 app that's available in the Windows Store. If all this sounds interesting to you, and I, I've checked it out, it's uh, if you've got kids this age, you should definitely check it out too. So if you want to, go to solero.com slash Ruby on Rails. That's S-O-L-A-R-O dot com slash Ruby on Rails and click register to sign up for a free account. It's going to let you take a practice quiz and view the first set of lessons in any course that Solero offers. The free account doesn't require a credit card. You don't even uh, need to put in your email address. For full access, here's the pricing. It's $29.95 per month uh, or $199.95 per year. Uh, that's a good deal, especially given how uh, expensive tutors can be and how important uh, the topic is. But for 5x5 five five listeners, things get much cheaper. Uh, here's the special deal. If you enter the offer code GEM, that's G-E-M as in uh, your gem file, gem. So enter the offer code GEM at checkout and you'll receive 50% off. That's 50% off your uh, Solero subscription, not just for the first year, but for the entire life of your Solero subscription. So my thanks to Solero, very cool product from a, uh, from a cool company. And, uh, I appreciate them sponsoring Five by Five and the Ruby on Rails podcast. So you're changing jobs? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, going from differential to uh, doing some contract work for a company in Canada. Doing a, doing meteor work. Yeah. So not that big of a change then. No, not a huge change. Um, but I, you know, this is the maybe the sad part of of doing meteor work full time is when you do want to change jobs, you go hunting for a job. There were only two listed on the internet at the time that I looked. So <laughs> it was a uh, slim pickings, but uh, luckily the, the, the one that I contacted uh, seemed to work out. So I'm going to start that next week. Uh, and the interesting thing is I'll be working four days a week because I'm spending, I, I decided I want to spend the fifth day a week. Uh, I've been working on a testing with meteor book um, working on a training class and uh, just just generally working on blog articles and uh, I've got a newsletter now that just trying to help people 
you know, get unstuck with Meteor. Like, I don't want people to come in and feel frustrated and just leave. So, you know, if they get stuck, I tell them just, just email me and, and I'll help you. So you're, uh, you're like the Meteor mogul. Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds it. <laughs> I, I want to be. So I would say like uh, <laughs> right. Sasha uh, Graf is, is maybe uh, my hero. Like he's he's written the Discover Meteor book and they've done a great job there. And um, I've been talking to him a lot. And, and uh, so, yeah, like him or, or Brendan Dunn, like I'm really just trying to emulate some of the stuff that they're doing, but apply it a lot more to Meteor. Um and uh and just generally like i understand that in order for the the meteor community to flourish there has to be uh good documentation there has to be good blog posts there has to be um you know strong stack overflow community like these are all the things that that matter otherwise people are going to come and then leave and we don't we don't want that. We want them to come and stay because every person that comes in is going to make the community stronger. What is the biggest weakness of those potential weaknesses right now? Do you think? Uh, I would I would say to me, um, the server side rendering is probably the the most painful part because I, I'd really uh, like better functionality. Like I've already I've I've got app ideas that I feel like I couldn't build in Meteor because it could turn out to be scaling challenges or SEO challenges, that kind of stuff. Um, so there, I mean, there, there are workable solutions. It's just, they're not really the, they're not built by a Meteor development group and I'm not really keen to roll something by hand right now. So I, I'll just put those on the shelf. Um, but it, you know, for SEO, there's the spiderable package, which you can install but it, it's got little problems with it. Like you never really know. Like it doesn't alert you if Spiderable is not able to serve up the page. Which yeah. I think for SEO, you you want to know if it breaks. Like you want to know that Google didn't get the right stuff or Facebook uh, Open Graph didn't get served the content that you wanted. And uh, and so like there's there's probably little things I could probably sit down for a couple hours and fix it, but I just haven't. And it's it's just not quite where it should be. So. While you were saying that, I looked at the um, seven principles of Meteor on the Meteor.com docs website. Yeah. And the the first one is data on the wire. So, I mean, it seems like, it seems like maybe there just has to be some sort of reconciliation of that principle and the need to cache um, views. Yeah. So, I think if you could say maybe um, don't, don't go pull data, right? So, someone's already written what they call fast render which puts all the data, um, all the JSON in the page as it's rendering, which is, I think, a, a good first step. But, um, but maybe, yeah, I don't, I don't know the right way to handle it, but I think the reactivity, like figuring out how to serve the page and then have it connect back and do any reactivity would really be ideal in the long run. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fourth, the fourth bullet in these principles is latency compensation. And I think that that's consistent with what you just said, where, you know, if they say use prefetching and model simulation to make it look like you've got a zero latency connection, then I think things like, you know, squirting, um, cached data into the view and, you know, using, using some interface that can use that instead of actually connecting if, if it has, it seems... Now, see, that's Fine. that's interesting because the latency compensation there actually has to do with um, 
sending data back to the server. And so um, that's that's maybe the opposite of what they meant. Um, oh, really? Well, because yeah, the, the description so, they they use makes it, I and mean, they use prefetching as their example. Oh, uh, maybe they've changed it. Um, but the the latency compensation stuff is more about. Uh, so you, you, if you watch the second Meteor video, you can kind of see it in action. Um, it's this idea that when you make a change on the client, the client will immediately take some action. But then the data is sent to the server, and then the server will reconciliate and decide like whether it was accepted or not. And if it's denied, you'll actually see this little flash in the video of a, a marker moving on a map and then moving back because it was denied. Right. Gotcha. So that's kind of the idea there. Cool. Well, I think uh, I think I'll uh, wrap up now since we've been talking for about an hour. I, I appreciate the kind of noobs tour of Meteor because, yeah. and I'm sure that for those that know Meteor, it was the most basic of basic. But for those of us that that don't, it's helpful. Yeah. So big changes for you right now, changing jobs. Are there? Does that change how people should connect with you on the internet, or or? Uh, no, no. Uh, just. My email is uh, joshua.owens at gmail.com. My Twitter is uh, just twitter.com slash joshowens. And then I've got uh, my blog, which is joshowens.me. Try to make it easy. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you have a um, a uh, uh, a book website or title that, that goes along with, the, with what you're working on yet? Uh, yes, but it's kind of in flux right now. So it's testingmeteor.com, um, and it's just all about – like that's the biggest one of the biggest pieces I missed coming from Rails was the ability to test, and so uh, I just decided I'd start writing a book and and then I'd understand it better and, and maybe get better at it. And uh, since then, like there's actually been a, a velocity kind of framework come out of that, and and so testing's gotten even better. Um, but right now the book's more about the older stuff, and I'm just starting to get the velocity stuff in place. So. Uh, but yeah, you can check it out at, at testingmeteor.com. So on a scale of one to 10, what's the, what's the status of testing in meteor 10 being like, let's pretend that, that the current sort of Ruby rails stack for testing is a 10. How does it compare to that? I'd say right now it's at a, at a five. Um, I think in about a month or two, we'll probably hopefully be at a seven. Uh, there's a lot of people, uh, we get together every week. There's uh, probably six or seven of us that get together every week and talk through the pain points we're having. So there's people that are writing, like integrating the testing frameworks with Velocity, and then there's people writing Velocity in the HTML reporter. So um, I think what I'm seeing is is very encouraging and and already more exciting to me than maybe some of the RSpec stuff that I used to do because um, you, you're getting – on page like interact reactive testing so as you hit save like there's a dot on the page that updates and shows you your test failed gotcha which is pretty cool very cool well thanks for coming on to talk about your uh your 2007 victory in the rails sure. level and uh, all the experience you've had uh since then and transitioning to meteor i learned a lot and yeah. uh, for those that want to connect with me on twitter i'm barely known thanks 